Hello, I'm Olivia Braffman and welcome to If She Can, I Can, the podcast that aims to edge all of us ambitious women that little bit closer to navigating how on earth we get the high-flying career we love and have kids without totally burning yourself out and challenges the role society thinks we're supposed to play in it all. How? By talking each week to inspiring women who have proven the statistic wrong and have done just that. Let's get into it. I am very excited to bring you this end of season bonus episode because this person has a story that I needed to share and a perspective that I know will resonate with so many of you. This week I'm talking to Amber Costa, COO of Unmind, an incredible business on a mission to create a world where mental health is celebrated and nurtured. More on that in a bit, which we will definitely get into. Amber herself is a bit of a unicorn in my eyes. Throughout her career, her dedication to serving others and unique ability to put herself in the shoes of the people around her to truly understand them is her special source. She's held VP-level positions prior to her COO role, with a particular wow moment being when she helped lead App Dynamics from a $100 million valuation through to a $3.7 billion acquisition. She wears two very taboo subjects in the workplace as badges of honour and pride, her own mental health and being a mother. In her words, if you want to master prioritization and time management, watch a parent during that time. Amen. I'm so going through that at the moment. Amber, I cannot wait to get into this. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Olivia. I, as a, as a very sleep-deprived mother today, I feel quite emotional listening to you say that. And also emotional thinking about, my goodness, the naps. We've dropped the nap and... Whilst in many ways that has given us freedom to be out of the house at lunchtime at a weekend, which is such a novelty. God, those two hours were nice. <laughs> I know. I'm still clinging on to them. Everyone's like, it's about time you drop the nap. I'm like, no, 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 no. He will, he will be keeping that nap because I literally can't survive and get anything done without it. <laughs> Absolutely. I get it. <laughs> I want to go back. I want to know for you, what was life like growing up? And how do you think that influenced you now? Yes. So life growing up, I think the the real thing to talk about is I was always fiercely independent. I think my mum tells stories of me knocking on the doors of hairdressers at 12 years old, just saying like, hey, give me a job, give me a job. And then saying like, you know, go home, have fun, play games, whatever. I wanted to be out in the world and working and earning money and like have this independence. and also had been a natural kind of almost parental figure for my brother and sister as well growing up I'm a middle child and definitely assumed the role of caregiver quite young and my mum equally tells stories she was a social worker at the time of me phoning probably similar age around about 12 and, and asking her how much wine I should be putting in the gravy and her sitting <laughs> in a very busy kind of you know council Harrow council office going and you don't have to use wine in the gravy but you know if you do don't don't use the part Hardy's Crest or whatever <laughs> tipple of choice was back then. Um, so those are those are really kind of the resounding things that come out when I think about my childhood. Yeah. So why 
do you think you wanted to be independent so much and earn money? Was there a particular reason why that was driving you, do you think? Yeah, I think it was this, we weren't well off and we didn't particularly struggle. There were a few instances that I wouldn't necessarily talk too publicly about that kind of stick in my memory that probably led me to a little bit of fear of like, I want to make sure that I go out and I am independent and I can make sure that we've got or that I've got a really kind of solid foundation, financial foundation and that layer of security. I was very intuitive when I was younger and I probably picked up on much more than my parents would have wanted me to pick up on. I don't want to rely on others, want to make sure that I'm able to kind of look after myself. I was formed at a very, very young age and I always, I think I felt a heavy weight of responsibility of looking after everybody, of looking after my siblings and of, you know, at times before I arguably should have done looking after my mum and kind of separated households and now I'm lucky enough to have really strong relationships with both parents kind of later in life I've done a lot of work on that you know thank you therapy but all of that definitely kind of created a real foundation that I end up you know it's it's helped me in many ways and also has hurt me as well that sense of responsibility I guess. From what I can, I guess, read about you on the surface, that kind of aspect of helping people and being so caring of what other people are going through and just other people in general is something that seems to have sort of followed you into various careers and seems to be quite ingrained in, in you as a person. Why, A, do you agree with that? Or is that just sort of not true at all? And why is it important to sort of help people? Why, why do you care so much about that? Yeah, I think it would be really interesting to do a 360 review of many of the people that I've kind of <laughs> managed to mentor in the past. I'm sure you'd, you'd probably get some mixed responses. I'm definitely an empath. So I walk into a room and I can feel the vibrations. You know, I feel very, very deeply and I read a lot into different interactions and, and different things that I witness. So I, I always kind of pick up on a heightened frequency and find it quite difficult to walk away from stuff. And even, you know, I can see somebody on the tube and, and just think, oh God, I want to go and talk to that person or I want to do something to make sure that they're all right. And sometimes I have to really work on my own boundaries because that can obviously be really draining. I probably flitter between trying to help people or trying to help people help themselves, which I know, you know, kind of teach a person to fish. And certainly that tough love in different aspects of my more kind of managed leadership career has probably come through in different ways and there's a lot of work that I've done on myself to just make sure that that I'm showing up for people and also not kind of doing for people because that's not all that helpful not entirely sure if that answers the question but it does and I think you know the higher you climb the harder it is often if you're that person because you've just got more and more people around you that I guess you feel sort of this compelling desire to want to help and you want them to succeed and you want everyone to sort of do their best and and I guess the pressure of that must how does that impact your role now do you think it helps yeah it's interesting actually I um was reading or listening to something a little while ago that was talking about how leadership is disappointing at a rate of acceptance <laughs> sometimes that really in in the role that I'm in today and, and in many roles before that helping people you often think about that being a real gift right like helping people will often make people stay and sometimes helping people and helping the business means disappointing a lot of people they're making some really really tough decisions so I think that it would be a surprise to many people how deeply I do feel 
and how much I do especially when you are making some of the tougher decisions that you need to make in business or when you're having to kind of help people learn lessons in ways where mistakes are made in order to be able to kind of learn lessons without being saved along the way and and those ones can definitely be hard to watch sometimes but you know that they're for the greater good or you think about kind of the collective and the people versus the person and all of these different things in terms of looking after myself through that it can be really tough I think I think the world of tech especially has just been through a really difficult year or two where we're not living in a growth at all costs market anymore we're living in a world of sustainable growth and profitability so in many of my roles previously would be able to buy ourselves out of trouble and now you need to be a lot more careful about where you invest and work in many different ways which is really testing for everybody in in businesses and you kind of you see the tech landscape can be pretty taxing and i think for me what i try to do internally as much as possible is really make sure that i'm really confident about the decisions that we're making have as much compassion for the people that you're working with try as much to encourage everybody to make the best bets in the moment and kind of use data in order to be able to progress that and keep to sticking to some boundaries about recharging and giving yourself a break and catching your breath because it's a marathon not a sprint and I've certainly learned that the hard way in the past who helps you who is your who are your people Mm, good question do you feel that when you're in the role that you are, you can sort of be open about when you need help? It's a really good question. And it's something that I've definitely kind of been going through my own route of self-discovery with as well. I've been at Unmind for a year now. So you're always kind of, you're creating new networks when you go into a different environment. And some of the things that have been useful for me is I've joined a COO network community and have COO roundtables, which are very precious in terms of being able to talk to, you know, kind of Chatham house rules, some people who really kind of get the world, the professional worlds that um, I'm living in and are able to relate to certain kind of business pressures that come up in an external environment. Of course, I've got the rest of the executive leadership team that I work with and part of my role is really to kind of create a deeply connected, trusted team out of our ELT so that we're able to really rely and trust and speak very openly with each other and challenge each other. And that's a large part of my focus and my role. And then I have, you know, have a husband who I talk to quite a lot about all of this stuff about work and mental health and parenting. And, you know, we navigate all of this as much as we can together. Every relationship is, you know, is different and has different strengths. And we definitely ridden a bit of a roller coaster through my own mental health challenges and learn how we can support each other and how he can support me more and then honestly my daughter like if there's anything that's going to give you perspective over work it's going home and having her yeah she she kind of (laughs) she takes no prisoners my Mm. of my daughter so that certainly really helps and and definitely really helps me with boundaries as well yeah Well, I guess speaking of boundaries, and I want to get into how you came into this role, because I think it's always, as soon as there's someone that kind of reached these heights, which I think for a lot of people is something that they would really aspire to be, you're always fascinated by the journey that someone's been on to to get it. I do want to just talk about what made me come across you in the first place, which was a post that you put on LinkedIn. 
I encourage people to follow Amber and look at this post and it start. I won't read the whole thing but it started with a sentence dear parents I've worked with in the past I'm so sorry I had no idea and it went viral I think it was was six million impressions I mean so many so many people have seen it reposted commented engaged with it it resonated with me so much why did you feel so compelled to write it and write it when you did it was so raw and so human and immediate baby just love you and what you stand for because I think it just said so much about the person that you are yeah thank you what a ride that was (laughs) (laughs) um I I had a really deep sense that it was an important message and that I had these I've these kind of conflicting polarities that had like these different things in my mind that had really kind of come up and come up and come up again since having my daughter and really kind of living the true struggles of you know the wanting it all I guess in wanting it all and also ironically one of the readings that we had a when when my husband and I got married I wrote a poem called I want to be boring with you because sometimes I, I just like I just want a really normal boring life you know I don't want it all I just want a very simple life and the conflict of all of this there were a number of different themes that I touch on in that post that I'd been become really conscious that hadn't really been discussed and hadn't been felt as deeply with some of my experiences before of managing parents or hadn't really come up in many of the circles that I'd spoken about at work especially I was like oh we need to be talking about this we need to be talking about the judgment that comes when somebody comes into work late or leaves early because of pickups and like how sacred bedtime is and also your child being the first person to nursery and you being the last person in the office and you leaving first, leaving the office first and being the last person to get to the nursery and all of these things kind of existing at the same time and not understanding, as I said, not understanding bedtime, not understanding the privilege of being able to even afford childcare of all of these different things. All of it had just kind of been circling around my mind. And then I had my daughter's been a terrible sleeper. She, you know, she really didn't sleep well last night. She has slept before and she's gone through terrible. We've always struggled with sleep. So I really have deeply understood the brain fog <laughs> that comes with the lack of sleep, how tricky that is. And understood that this has been part of existence, excuse me while I drop my AirPod, of many of my co-workers in the past and and I just didn't have this deep level of understanding so I just wanted to bring these topics out into the universe in in a way that felt normal and natural to me and it ended up coming off the back of one of my really bad sleepless nights you know I was really blown away by the response to it but I was also I felt proud of what I'd said I felt blown away by the response I felt validated in that my goodness this is something that we need to be talking about so much louder but I also ended up having a period of social media uh, like a bit of a social media hiatus afterwards one of the other things that I haven't spoken about is the negative comments that were made on that post. And I had people set up fake social media profiles and target me on like Facebook Messenger and a number of comments that were written where people started talking about me as if I'd never see it. And people saying, oh, you need to experience something in order to be able to 
deeply understands it, then clearly you don't have any empathy and it's like maybe this person is racist and what if you're like a lot of things that made me go, oh my goodness, this like tiny little sense of, you know, what can be said by trolls in the comments section on one post going viral actually meant that on a topic that I wanted to talk about even more. I felt quite silenced on quite quickly and needed to kind of put a few boundaries up personally and go, well, clearly there's an appetite for this. But in order to be able to protect myself and my mental health, maybe I'll just take a little breather before I go back to it and, and decide how I want to use this voice and this platform and kind of continue the conversation. So, yeah, I, I look back at that post with so much pride, but also with really mixed feelings of conflict because of some of the stuff that happens next and some of the messages that I got, the trolls can be quite nasty. Well, I'm sure it's just overwhelmingly positive. And then the small minority that then is negative is is what kind of stops you in your tracks from moving the train forward, which is crazy when you think of it. But I think we're all kind of wired similarly to be, be resistant if we feel any kind of pushback. Totally, totally. And then I think now that I've had some distance between you know, then and now I can think more about celebrating the number of people who kind of slid into my DMs saying, I can't engage with this for reasons that, you know, you'll probably understand. But I wanted to send you a message to just say thank you because I feel so validated and I thought that I was the only one. And so, so now I can kind of, I, yeah, with a bit of distance, I can feel quite proud that I was able to get some words out that people were clearly feeling and experiencing. It's incredible, really, that post and what you did. And I think the way you wrote it as well, I think was one of the most compelling aspects of it. I think also it's important that it's said from someone in your position, because I think these are the voices that we need to be hearing these things from importantly. And I want to get to that. I want to get to how you came to get to where you are. What has your career looked like to this point? And is it sort of obvious that you are where you are now? Or has it been a slightly more unique pathway? Yeah, I guess good question, because everybody would probably have their own version of what is obvious. <laughs> so I think one of the things, one of the things that comes back to that dedication to just getting out in the world and going and like and working and finding a job. So I, I think I finally got my first yes, we will pay you when I was ooh, 13 or 14. And that was in a barber shop. I got my first office job when I was 15 and then started serving the nation's dreams with the National Lottery at Camelot at 16. And <laughs> I've got a real hodgepodge background career where actually at previous roles where we've been very laser focused on what good looks like in terms of our hiring criteria, you'd look at my CV and you'd discount it. You wouldn't have an interview with me because I've had such a varied career, positions that have been much shorter than is deemed you know in quotes good I didn't go to university I was dead set on just getting out into the world getting the kind of basic level of education that I thought was good enough which for me I did A levels I ended up going to a sixth form that was give me a little bit more structure because I just didn't want to stay in education I just wanted to get out and I was like right knowing that I don't want to stay in education I'll go somewhere that will be a bit stricter <laughs> so there's a little bit more pressure and accountability my last day level exam was on a Friday and I started full-time work on a Monday and have worked in 
recruitment and for an investment bank and for a company that was at the forefront of the digital revolution, putting angling programs on the internet. Like I've just got a really, really kind of weird and wonderful checkered past. And I think one of the things that being able to take a little bit of a step back and kind of look at my career in a slightly different way now, I think one of the things that's probably stood out is that I've always just kind of crafted roles. So there have been very few roles that I've gone into that have been textbook jobs. When they have been textbook jobs, I've always made them bigger or different than the job description was. I've been able to kind of pinpoint, actually, I think that that thing over there feels important. And I've gone and kind of injected myself into it. And that's probably helped with my own internal progression. And I've always had a real kind of appetite and desire to raise the bar and to do things differently and to grow. I'm probably the poster child for the devil makes work for idle hands, where I can sit here and go, oh, you know, we had this reading called I want to be boring with you. But then, of course, I wrote it myself and made that more difficult, you know. So that's probably been one of the constants. And then I fell into tech. I don't know, maybe about 15, 15 years-ish now after, as I said, experimenting with a lot of different things. And the tech world, especially the world of software and kind of startup scale-up life is full of change and transition. So speaks to my appetite to kind of go and find problems and fix things in a really kind of, you know, in a really healthy slash unhealthy way. And my swan song is all kind of one of my hero stories that I look back on. Uh, one of my greatest love affairs is it was a company called App Dynamics where I was employee number six in Europe. We had less than 200 people worldwide. And a recruiter contacted me and explained that there was this Silicon Valley software company that was launching their EMEA, Europe, Middle East, Africa, go-to-market strategy, was contacting me about a marketing role. And the software made real dummies guides, made the internet work better. And I was like, well, you know, people use the internet. That should sell. So I joined there around about 10 years ago now is that was a company that just really really exploded through real hyper growth and and my career did in tandem with so I had a number of roles whilst the company grew and learned a lot of lessons on kind of how to build businesses and how not to build businesses along the way through that journey and how did that get you to where you are now so I think that that is that journey with App Dynamics. It's one of the great software tales. So learn a lot of kind of scale stories through that. I also through that journey suffered. The the business growth was amazing. My personal career growth was amazing, and I also completely broke myself along the way. So it was I was completely head over heels in love with this, and with that. A lot of my life was dedicated to Amber App Dynamics. And, you know, I'd work from too early on a Monday morning, you know, seven, seven o'clock, try to be in the office on a Monday morning, pulling way too many hours and then letting loose on a Friday night, partying too hard, having a sleep on a Saturday and then back to work, really catching up on kind of the pre-work and the admin on a Sunday. And then the cycle continues. And a lot of my life was really that and that world. And I loved it. Um, so I sat a lot for it but what came along the way was me sacrificing my health as well and the short version of that story is I got to the point where I've been feeling very unwell for about six months and getting to the point where I just felt like sick and tired and sick and tired of feeling sick and tired and had a bunch of health tests 
and then figured out that actually it was my mental health that was really broken and I was completely burned out and I couldn't at this point I couldn't walk down the road for longer than 10 minutes I couldn't have a proper conversation I couldn't process things in a normal way and I ended up being off of work for six months whilst I really kind of went on this journey of like getting some kind of diagnosis and then on some kind of recovery and really a real crisis of identity as well as somebody who's always been so so driven to focus so much on work I was like well if I'm not Amber at Dynamics who am I and had to kind of really look myself in the mirror and do a lot of work on myself with that too and I did return to work there and I returned for a number of reasons like one of which to kind of build my confidence in a place that was familiar or rebuild my confidence in a place that was familiar after what was a really kind of traumatic event and then in the other another reason was I didn't want it to be and then I got sick the end and then the other piece was I really wanted to be able to leave a better legacy and to be able to help prove that you can drive business growth and you can do it in a way that doesn't sacrifice your people and it really woke this thing up where there's so much of that dynamics that I'm so so proud of but I do believe that you can build businesses in a way that is a little bit more thoughtful and purposeful around protecting your employee well-being that became like a real personal mission for me mm. after that and it led me through some of the other pieces that I went and turned my hat at and really kind of shows up with my work at Unmind which is much more focused on not just doing that internally but for our customers as well. Do you think society just has for a certain generation of people at work has just sort of said to you to do well and be successful you've got to be the first one in the last one out and putting all the hours and you've got to sort of be wed to the job and those are the people that get themselves the furthest I think a lot of people resonate with that kind of pressure and and have this sort of so much of your identity becomes therefore about your work because so much of your time is dedicated to it is that the kind of pressure that was driving you that you sort of wanted to get to a certain place so much that you became locked in this kind of unhealthy cycle of working too much for sure like absolutely and it's it's something that I have to keep myself honest about now where sometimes I feel the pressure to even in my role (laughs) or especially in my role I'm I'm not sure which like be visible to kind of like set the standards and then I have to really challenge myself on well what do you want to be visible doing do you want to be visible just being present which we know that if you're always the first one in and always the last one out, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're the most effective of your job because that can really breed to presenteeism of just sitting there with a hundred tabs open but not really doing that much. Really, I want to be able to role model. I can have a successful career and I can also be a good mother and I can carve out time to look after my own mental health so that I don't have six months out of the business again because I'm trying to fix myself so I think it's something that's quite interesting as a challenge for everybody really what are the boundaries you had to learn the extreme hard way and I guess the boundaries change when you become a mother and they're probably constantly changing as as your life changes but what are the learnings that you've taken from it I think they're really personal and it's interesting because we're doing a lot of work internally around kind of sustainable working and ways of working internally at the moment. And we have a definition of high performance at our minds and our definition of high performance and a high performance culture is where you're looking after the people and you're hitting results. And both of things, those things must coexist. 
And it's really, really hard. It's really hard to do that. And we know that if you look after your people, they look after the business. So we know it shouldn't be hard because it all should work together perfectly. But I think one of the things that makes this more tricky is that there isn't like a cookie cutter approach to if you follow this simple template around these ways of working, it's going to wait, work for every single person and every single team because that's not the case the way that I work and what works for me will change depending on what projects I'm working on whether or not Maya is sleeping like you know how my hormones are at any given time and an an array of different things what's going on in my personal life what's going on in my professional life what the business needs what I need and all of these kind of messy things I think for For me personally, I've done a lot of work to really get to know myself and my health. So I know what my kind of warning signs are of when my mental health is in need of some attention. And then I've got my own kind of toolkit, which is always work in progress of the things that I know that fill my cup a little bit more. So that could be anything from forcing myself to go out and run just like three to 5k, not break any records, but just like get out into the world and like breathe some fresh air and run through some stuff and cook some dinners rather than rely on Deliveroo and just very very simple adjustments to okay let me make sure that I'm doing some therapy again or taking some time to really cut back on some of the work requirements if I can ask for a little bit more help and let the team know actually you know what I've got some stuff going on not feeling great right now who can step in and, and help and just try to ask for help which can be really tough but I think important to see particularly as a mother and I want to I want to touch on your motherhood journey and I'm kind of getting a feel more and more for the person that you are so here's this person that's wildly success driven and sort of always aiming for you know bigger better more in you know whatever capacity you're working in you then become a mother how have you found the whole experience of you know I guess one is sort of being pregnant you've got this thing looming and you don't quite yet know exactly how your life's going to change but you know it's going to change and then I guess settling into what life looks like post how is all of that for you I think I mean I never knew that I could love so deeply I think that's one of the things like my god she's I just want to eat her and that I get kind of swoony you know you've got a crush (laughs) I think about my daughter and I'm just like I like I feel like I've got like this crush on her at the same time it's that whirlwind of emotions where I feel like within the space of 60 minutes I can go from like being spoony like oh hey (laughs) look at you I love you so much to like being completely exasperated with her and then being like you know afraid of just like what she's going to do next she's a wild toddler with big big feelings and to complete and utter exhaustion and all of these things all happen yeah within such a tiny time frame I think for me my motherhood journey or kind of parental journey goes back to one of the biggest things that I didn't expect was actually how hard pregnancy would be for me so my husband and I decided that we were going to try for a baby and we started trying at one point I you know early kind of springtime 2020 I felt like my mental health really, really deteriorate. And I contacted a therapist for the first time in a long time. And I'd done a pregnancy test and it had shown up as negative. And I was feeling really mentally unwell. I had a panic attack for the first time in a really long time. And then it turns out that I was actually pregnant. I just hadn't tested positive yet. And I've always reacted really aggressively to hormones and, you know, my monthly cycle and 
have had hormonal IUDs that have helped me manage that and have been on quite a journey with just trying to kind of find some kind of equilibrium, I guess, in that part of my existence, which has been a real challenge. And again, another topic that's just not spoken about as much as it should be, because I just know how much it impacts so many people. And for me, when I was pregnant, I suffered really badly with antenatal depression. So I went through pregnancy having a completely different pregnancy experience than one that I would have ever imagined. And that's not because I really, I didn't ever really think about what pregnancy would be like. I guess I hadn't given it that much thought. And so to have such a tough pregnancy, especially with my mental health, that came as a real shock. And with that, I was so grateful that I was pregnant. I was so fearful of miscarriage. And yet I couldn't celebrate being pregnant because I was just so depressed and battling anxiety and all of the, you know, all of the pregnancy symptoms of nausea and hyperactive sense of smell and carpal tunnel syndrome and insomnia and just all of the stuff that you learn about afterwards of pregnancy for me was a really complicated thing. And we found out we were pregnant in the second week of the first ever COVID lockdown, 2nd of April, 2020. So it was obviously a really weird time for the world as well. I've never heard of antenatal depression. And I don't know whether this is just me being blind to something that I've not experienced personally, but how, you know, you hear so much about postnatal, but how common is this? I think, I've, I mean, I wrote about it for Happy Full a little while ago and, and I, I'd have to go back and revisit the stats, but it was, it was more, I want to say one in 10. It was more common than I would have predicted because I, I hadn't heard of it before. I hadn't heard of antenatal depression before either. And the maternity services were very lacking during that time because of COVID as well. So the support was really lacking. And I was terrified of getting postnatal depression and having, I was at higher risk of that, having suffered from AND. And I was really, really fortunate to, I had an elective cesarean and it was almost at the moment that she was kind of cut out of my body and like brought into the world it was like this cloud lifted and I felt different instantly so that actually meant that my my motherhood journey from like you know her being earth side of course it was still a struggle she was born in winter 2020 we were in lockdown it was the three of us locked in a house with very little other support and influence just trying to figure out like parenting and all of that for the first time, but it was actually much, in many ways, much easier than how the pregnancy had been, which is probably quite unexpected. Oh my gosh. You didn't face postnatal depression. So luckily you then had a relatively sort of, well, smoother start to motherhood. I'd, I'd say I probably, I had a, for COVID, for the world of COVID, <laughs> which is very different to raising a newborn now. Um, but again, her being my first, I didn't really have many expectations. I had a, a relatively normal, kind of like in, you know, in quotes, I had a relatively normal experience. And normal being, it was really, really hard. Maya was a terrible sleeper. We had a really complicated breastfeeding journey, which I never, I didn't really have any opinions about breastfeeding before she was born. And then suddenly she was born and like this kind of animalistic determination to breastfeed came out and that was like a kind of five-month battle that was really complicated that I couldn't really see any other version of and she had some digestive problems that we still actually struggle with today sometimes and she's 
always been a koala baby. So from the, from the moment that she was kind of lifted out of my body, she's wanted to be attached to my hip. And in many ways, she's still like that now. They're kind of two and a half going on three. So there's a lot of the journey that's been really, really complicated. But it's I was just like so head over heels in love with her and so grateful for her to be here and to be safe that none of that has really mattered like it's been really hard but it's I haven't minded that it's been hard and I would probably because I don't mind doing hard things right how has that then impacted your career whether it be positively negatively or even change your perspective towards you you know going out and working in the world yeah it's been one that I've probably gone back and forth with managing a number of times when I was born I worked for myself I was self-employed I was kind of accidentally setting up a professional services business that wasn't going to scale and I knew as was going to be accidentally as, <laughs> as, as you do I do the setting up a business was was very intentionally the type of businesses that it was turning into and the kind of avenue that it was taking was not necessarily as well thought out as it would be if I was to do it again which is not, I think I learned through that experience that I'm not the zero to one person, I'm, I'm another phase. But I learned quite quickly that it was going to be really hard to do that and to parent in the way that I wanted like, to be the, the kind of the business woman that I wanted to be and to the parent that I, was, I wanted to be was going to be quite hard in that setup. So Maya went to nursery part time at five months. So she was quite young to kind of go into that world which had advantages for her because she I think that kind of socializing her in that way in terms of her personality and really seems to suffer a little bit from social anxiety even at such a young age and also being a COVID baby just wasn't out in the world much so I think for her it definitely had advantages and for me it had advantages because I feel like I'm a really good mother I do really I work hard and I feel very in tune with her and I'm not perfect nobody is but I'm a much better mother working and mothering when I'm full-time parenting for too long my patience just wears thin and I work chops me up in a different way and taps into a different way of my being that allows me to be the mother that I want to be for her so that was good but I the the part-time self-employed and mothering just wasn't wasn't a setup that I felt like was going to be fulfilling for me. I felt like I was very much failing everywhere. And that drove me to end up making some really hard decisions about going back into the corporate world or what ends up being quite easy decisions, actually, about going back into the corporate world. But also wanting to be able to try to do it in a way where I was able to think more about role modeling and to think more about that LinkedIn post that we spoke about earlier about me not really understanding the you know the meaning of bedtime and the battles that have been fought before the workday begins and just wanting to be able to a little bit like how I'd before started giving a bit of a voice to some mental health challenges that are rarely spoken about because of the stigma actually give a bit of a voice to some of the parenting challenges that are rarely spoken about or had been rarely spoken about in my world of like we don't talk about anything other than the tech mission that's ahead of us. Right. And we're all kind of robotics that that don't have any sort of life going on outside of work. I'm curious to know, you know, the bravery of speaking out on taboo subjects. And I guess you painted the picture perfectly when you said there are people that couldn't 
even be seen to like that post but message you privately to say thank you I feel validated because that's how much stigma some of those topics and themes have to the point that you can't even like something that might send a message out how from a work perspective solely how is it impacted do you think people in your current workplace think any differently of you because you've spoken out about these things it's such a good question I think at our mind we do often talk about some of the trickier topics because so much of the work that we do and the product that we have is around you know smashing the stigma and talking about hard things however that doesn't make it easy and where we might talk more about mental health challenges here talking about different things like parenting challenges or we had a executive ask me anything like Q&A fireside for some of our new joiners recently the whole of the ELT were kind of in a line and everybody was asking us questions one of the questions that came up was what is your greatest fear at the moment or what keeps you up at night and different people had spoken about different things and I was the last one in the chain for that question and like all of the good work ones were taken. <laughs> so I said, well, for me, actually, it's the fact that I want a second child one day. And that is really, you know, the work stuff, I feel like, is much easier to navigate in terms of these are normal business problems that we will solve. And very few business problems are brand new. So we'll figure it out. But for me, having knowing I really wish that I didn't know that we wanted a second and feeling like my life is very full and busy with one child and one big job and all of the other stuff that comes around that but feeling like the story like feeling a level of incompleteness with our family set up knowing that I want another knowing how difficult pregnancy was the first time knowing that it's not a given that it's difficult the second time but that I am higher risk and I know my body very well in terms of my um, reactions to hormones and there's never a perfect time and being in a senior executive position having the prospect of all of the ups and downs that come with trying to conceive the complications that come with the healthiest of pregnancies the fact that you can never do pregnancy maths and time those things to perfection there is that just doesn't work feeling an element of FOMO wanting to be able to enjoy maternity leave with this unborn unconceived child that is in my vision but also not wanting to step away from the business and just like feeling all of these different feelings and experiences knowing that I want a second but not wanting to talk about if and when I decide that I want to conceive because then people are thinking about what projects I might be involved in or whether or not I'm drinking at that work event and did I react in that way because I'm hormonal and all of like just how complicated that is felt like something that was quite important to talk to and the kind of the barometer that I often use with these things is if it feels quite scary to say then it's probably important it's a great way of thinking about it yeah and it's a balance there's I've never not been or it's very rare that I don't get some criticism for talking about something because often these things end up coming from lived experiences as well and some people will have views on you know what's professional and what's not and I remember I've been criticized heavily in the past about talking about my mental health and was warned that if I spoke about it publicly I wouldn't be employed again and I've spoken about my parenting journey and many things about that and have received some different feedback 
along the way with that as well and it causes me pause for thought and and then I also have conversations with people who come up and say thank you so much for giving that voice because I didn't have an idea and now I do and that's helped me and so it feels important. What a perfect way of articulating it and look I agree I think you're always going to offend someone if you have a strong opinion quite frankly for not offending someone you don't have enough of an opinion and that's probably worse. Thank you for being the voice. I think the more particularly women do speak about these things, the more it's normalized, the more it's going to help so many people feel the bravery to do the same and engage with posts like yours, challenge the status quo that they're facing everywhere. So thank you from everyone, but especially myself for for being that voice because it's so important and it's hugely inspirational to hear it from someone in your position. So I hugely appreciate it. Thank you, Amber. Thanks so much, Olivia. And the work that you're doing as well, you know, I'm so grateful to know that this podcast exists and that it can be a resource that can go and help so many others because, yeah, there are lots of topics that we just don't talk loudly enough about and certainly a lot of them are being covered on your podcast. So really important. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please don't forget to leave me a quick review and subscribe. It helps us reach a bigger audience of women more than you know. And if there is an awesome individual who needs to share their story on this podcast, I would love to hear from you. My details are in the description below. I will see you next week.